0: Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of The Savage Gentleman. we got an impromptu guest that just showed up at the building, and we've got, we've got actually a really interesting uh, show lined up <laughs> for you. So before we go too far, Zach's going to hit us with the explosion.
1: There it comes. Nice. <laughs> nice. Love that that Love is that. awesome.
0: So I'm here with Ryan Palmer, and Ryan, introduce yourself out there for the folks who have no idea who you are.
1: I'm Ryan Palmer. Um, I came in here. I've been a fan of, uh, of Ready Man Savage Gentleman for basically since you guys started up, as far as I'm aware.: Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And oh, uh, Yeah, I just I, a lot of what I do, I, I work in the adventure tourism industry, uh, primarily in Northern Canada, and uh, focused more actually in Central and South America, um, Central America being the area that I'm operating a lot in right now and um yeah so i i've just seen what was going on i happened to come through uh, utah business and business uh, and what is
0: when you say adventure tourism kind of what is that what is that i mean You hear so many, it's been kind of whitewashed a little bit. So what is the adventure tourism business?
1: Well, it includes a lot of things actually, which is, it's true. It has been kind of whitewashed. There's a lot of different things that might be confusing about it. I mean, even from like doing zip lines to mountaineering to renting a snowmobile, that sort of thing is kind of included into it. What really, I I think the closer, more exact description of it is experiential tourism, um, where you're doing you're not sitting and, and watching. You're physically involved with what you're, you're doing. doing yeah, you're doing something. I mean, it can be anything from um, from a hunting expedition that's guided mm-hmm. to um, hiking through the jungles of, uh, of Central America to visit some abandoned ruin site um, or and whitewater kayaking.
0: Yeah. And you work up in northern Canada as well as down. To, so you've got the two extremes. You've got the the stifling humidity of yeah. the jungle, all the way up to the incredibly cold temperatures of the mountains.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I, I I live I split where I live between Panama Central America, that's where I spend most of my time, and Ottawa Canada, which is the national capital and is, depending on what criteria you're using, it's actually the coldest national capital on the face of the planet. Wow. Um Moscow is third and the two that kind of rival for second and first place is uh, Ottawa and Olandatur. So 30 degrees below 0 in the winter time dead middle of the city, city is common. Wow. If not wow, normal. unbelievable. Yeah.
0: So let's see. so real quick, we've got we got questions that'll pop up there on the screen. I missed the bug out bag builder live feed by a couple hours last night because of the workout, but an email for a link, haven't heard back yet. Did I miss out on it? To answer your question, no. We got so many emails that Harry is down there and he's having to run all those things in so he can send them to you. We we actually we got an avalanche and it's great. You guys keep sending in this stuff. We got an avalanche of people that asked us. We we literally we thought we'd probably get like Ten or fifteen, and that's
1: why he was looking so so. Uh, so throttled th- that's why that he was song. looking throttled it's a like little bit. Just going it, like this. Because right?
0: we're at it, what do you say? We're at like over two hundred people have written in yeah. and said, "Hey, I want the bug out builder, and I want the." I want the book because I want to read it, which is phenomenal. We, I was we like right
1: ready to check him for like some sort of a head injury or something like that, Intercranial <laughs> pressure he, he's, going he's got, up. I don't know. He's got the black. It's his like got one eye all stuff. blown out and the other one like all shrunken. It was uh, it was pretty
0: interesting. So, so we're we we're, we're gonna get it to you. We just we got uh, we got slammed. So going back to like adventure travel, you you had mentioned before. Well, actually, how did you get started in that?
1: Wow. Um. I'll try to keep this short um i've been doing it 20 years yeah 20 years actually and and it wasn't a thing 20 years ago um the only thing that really was known in that were for were typically very elite type um, expeditions Mm -hmm. that would be going to say everest or or k2 Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing and then of course there's the whitewater rafting and that sort of thing which would be included in that as well but the idea of overland small group uh, active tours it was niche at best Um, I got into it. Um, I was actually trained as an industrial diver, commercial diver, Mm -hmm. um, and discovered while I was uh, doing some work um, in the oil industry that uh, I liked people better than what that job was going to offer me and uh, not not a lot of conversation going on not uh, a couple hundred feet below the surface right exactly (laughs) particularly in the north atlantic it was it was great i mean the whole science behind it it takes more science to keep a guy alive at 30 feet under the ocean than it does to keep him alive in space that just boggled my mind right wow um but i mean just the pressures involved and so forth um that that just and the fact that we know more what's on the surface of mars than we do on the bottoms of our oceans, oceans right it, yeah. it, it, that was just a really cool thing to me but the reality of it um was that i just like people better and as a as a commercial diver you have to be a a yeah a, 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 a to, special type you of person. have to be a special type of person yeah that's well
0: it was on a dive team in in special forces and i yeah. gotta tell you Dive team guys are a special type of person? They're... Yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of those guys, when they get out of the service, they find themselves working on the rigs as well. And a great group of guys, I'll tell you, love them. But it's a special group of people, it's that's for sure. People. But, yeah, it's, to be a commercial diver, you have, to be, um, you have to be a merchant mariner as well. And so there's different classifications that you can get. Uh, and I thought navigation was cool. Um, GPS wasn't really a thing back then. I yeah. mean, they had things the size of a, sorry, apparently um. Yeah. The, um, they had things the size of those old VCRs that yeah. would give you just your Latin long. And that was about it. Right. Yeah, the just, old pluggers. Yeah. The Tom Toms, they didn't exist yeah, back they, then. Right. So your I, phone. yeah. Or your phone. Right. Like that's how I found you guys today. And, uh, and they're not easy to find, but, uh, but they're here. Um, the, um, I got a job as a navigator on a small cruise line and that had been chartered by this little tiny company startup out of Toronto, um, to do a trip that would take tourists um, from Cozumel, actually it was Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Co- Cozumel for you guys that don't speak English. That don't speak English, that's right. So Cozumel and Isla Mujeres, um, Mexico, all the way down to the Bay Islands in Honduras. And this was in 95. Wow. Um, so there was guerrilla activity still actively going on yeah. in all those areas right now, right then. Guatemala at the time was had the highest homicide rate on the face of the planet. Um, and I was just this twenty-one-year-old kid that you know thought I was going to get a cool job working on a on a cruise boat, right? And it was a small one, and that's, that's how it always starts. That's right, the dumb twenty-one-year-old kid, right? Anyhow, so I was there, and uh, and we'd taken the boat actually from Miami through Cuba, as Canadians were not limited to to go there. So we went through Cuba and, and headed down, and met the owner of the company that chartered the boat, and it was this guy out of Toronto, and he looked at me and he said, "You got you you speak Spanish?" You speak French, you speak English, you're good with people. Would you be interested in doing the overland sections of this tour where they would kind of stop at a port and skip over to visit what was interesting there and get back on the boat before anybody noticed that they were there and (laughs) go to the next port. And I looked at the, I looked at the, the captain of the boat who owned the company. And I looked at the, this guy and I said, so wait a minute, you're going to pay me and he's going to pay me. So I'm double dipping here and you guys have, neither of you have any problems with that. And they both kind of nod and I said, sign me up. Sign me up. And so long story, sh- that's the long story short, 20 years later, um, the industry has vastly changed Wow. Um, as of 2005. It officially, I don't know who determines this, but it officially mainstream. So you, I think what that really means is you can walk into any, um, travel agency now and they're going to have a pretty large adventure tour, overland tour wow. um, offering so, now. So yeah.
0: who is it, who is it that, uh. Who is it that you work with mostly right now? Like if you could send, you know, whoever's watching, if you could send them to like a legit, you know, hey, if you go here, you're going to get some adventure travel and you've got people that have got a clue and they're going to keep you as safe as they can. What is, who Who would you recommend?
1: Well, there's a number of companies. There's a really good company. There's the, the two companies that um, I think really have managed to keep their... I don't know, their integrity as, uh, as adventure tour companies, as this industry became mainstream and everybody started jumping on board. One is called G adventures. They're G- out of Toronto. G adventures. Adventures. They were actually the company that I started with. Um, when things really started moving, um, great. The guy who owns the company, he's still the owner of the company and mm-hmm. it is the largest uh, adventure tour operator in the world right now. Oh, no kidding. Um, the, um, great guy. The, uh, And the company is just well thought out. Um, they keep their trips under 12 people. So it's intimate and they can get with a small group like that into places where you can't get with a busload of 60 people, even though they try to call it an adventure tour, you just can't do it. You can't do it. Um, another one actually is an American company called Trek, Trek America. And then there's a British one called Dragoman. So G, G adventures, G adventures, Trek America America, and Dragoman. And Drago, 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 Drago man. They're out of the UK, they're out of the UK. So, Trek, Trek Adventures is very much, um, at least the last time that I was dealing with them, they seemed very much uh, focused in kind of Mesoamerica, which means Mexico, Central America, and the US, right? Right. Gap Adventures focus on Latin America and Southeast Asia, and Dragomon, they all have offerings in other areas, but they kind of have their specialty. Dragamon seems very much more, uh, very much focused in, in Africa and, mm. and so forth. Gotcha. So. But uh, they're all, all of their offerings and all of their products are quality and, uh, their guides are well put together. So and, when,
0: and so when you say like, a, it's quality and it's well put together, what, if somebody's looking, you know, what, what, let me rephrase this, what distinguishes a legit company from one that's kind of a fly by night, you know, potentially getting people hurt kind of company?
1: Um, I think really the biggest issue is the, is the training of their guides, Um, in my, my, my area of expertise is in Canada and in, and in Latin America, Canada has a a huge and immense investment in national park systems. And as you can imagine, I mean, the U S has nearly 400 million people. Canada has barely 38 million, and yet the U S is about what, 6 million, uh, square Kilometers, so that's like what four million square miles, yeah, something like that. And Canada is nearly ten, yeah. So, and, but and, you've got a bunch of uninhabitable land. Up well, there that's there, true. Too. That's true. It's true. But my <laughs> my point is that that most Canadians live within 300 miles of the U.S. border, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, and it goes right up to the North Pole. So all of that area. That's is, why we call you guys the 51st state for right? time, right? Because we just kind of have to spit across <laughs> the 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 border and we're there, right? Um, which is funny, but uh, that's a that's a different topic altogether. But the uh, the Canada has a, has a very large investment in conservation of both crown lands as well as designated park and, and natural conservation areas. Uh-huh. And parks Canada is quite active in, in training people, their wilderness first responders program. Oh, and so okay. forth.
0: yeah, they're very cool.
1: Yeah. Latin America in for the most part has nothing of that sort. And so you're depending on the company that's operating to actually be able to provide you the support that you gotcha. might need if something happens. Right. And there's a lot of companies down there that'll hire some college gap year student, you know, dread headed, you know, kid that just figures it's, somebody's going like, to pay me fifteen dollars a day to travel. I'm in.
0: It's kind of like trainers at the gym,
1: you, right? Yeah. You can yeah. end up with one that like is really good,
0: or you could end up with like some guy that's
1: That's like, "What, well, you're going to give me like free gym membership?" Right on. That's <laughs> like, I'll I'm yell, in. I'll I'm in. People, no, that's
0: right. Hey, so we got we got a couple of questions that are up here. Hey, Matt, where is Josh? Josh yeah. has has been on secret assignment but he will be back on Monday. No, Doug back there. No, it's not Doug. We're playing name games here. But uh Zach. I think back he is chopping a tree down someplace. He is he he actually he was. We can't talk too much about it. It was like ultra secret thing that he was on. So, but we'll we'll let you know cuz I we're I'm going to pry it out of him when he gets back especially since he's been gone for a month slacker. So, but Matt, he's a uh, he will be back on Monday. There's actually been a few people have asked that. He'll he'll definitely he'll be back on Monday. So, and then uh, Sam, good to see you tuning in from uh, Dallas. Thanks for thanks for watching. So, we're talking we're we're talking about adventure travel, what to look out for, and then you know pretty quick we're gonna get out of the boring administrative stuff. We're gonna go okay. What's awesome is space aliens. Did they really come down to build the Inca temples?
1: Oh, absolutely. Let's go straight straight to it. What's Uh,
0: cool. Like what is some of the coolest stuff that you've seen?
1: I, uh, geez. Um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the coolest experiences that, I mean, I, I don't know how much of your audience is, is us based. Um, but as an American, um, I would think that there's something going on right now that Americans should see. And that's the Panama Canal. Really? Oh yeah. Um, Singh
0: as Jimmy Carter gave it away. Yeah right. <laughs> and then the Chinese bought <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, they've expanded well, the. They, they, they... they loaned
1: against it, but. That's you know. right. Panama, um, Panama. I think right now is. I mean, Nicaragua's picking up. Panama though has got everything that Costa Rica has, and the fascinating part about Panama is that they're used to seeing people who are not Panamanian because it is the gateway to the world. Oh right? yeah. Okay. And, in addition to that, they have other economy. their economy is the canal, and it's also banking um, and, and so forth and so because of that again, they're used to pe- seeing people who are not clearly panamanian right in addition to that, Americans lived there for one hundred and ten years Wow, yeah, and so they don't and they're, e-
0: and they're continuing the canal too right or, or they've expanded it? it yeah they're expanding it, they're and exp- then they're is well, somebody else building another canal?
1: Well, there's been talk about building one through Nicaragua, but what, uh, that was previous to, uh, to the expansion of the Panama Canal to, to accommodate post-Panamax vessels. That term is just to, decide, to describe the size of the locks in the canal. Anything bigger than that could not go through. Uh-huh. A lot of the ships now are bigger, and so they have to go all the way around, or transship where they'd land in Panama, train it across, and then pick up another ship on the other gotcha. side. Gotcha. Interesting. But the cool thing about Panama that, I mean, Costa Rica is great. Panama's got all of the, uh, the, the diversity, the, just what people go for, the surf, the beaches, the, yeah. you know, that sort of thing they go to Costa Rica for. Panama's got it, but they have under other industries. They use the U.S. dollar. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they use the U.S. dollar. Their official currency is the Balboa, but it's the dollar that they use. It's tied to the... Interesting, stone. interesting. And what's cool about it...
0: Hey, Rob Hummelbach. Good to see you on here, Rob. I want to hear some good comments from you. Rob's a great guy. He runs survival sheath systems. If you need a custom knife sheath or custom holster, sorry, I'm cutting you off. If you need a custom knife sheath or holster, Rob Hummelbaugh makes the finest custom. uh, He uses Boltron, not Kydex, but he makes the finest stuff that's out there. So if you need something. Hey, Rob, if you can figure
1: out a sheath that uh, can prevent my knife from getting taken from me every time I cross a border, that would be great. (laughs) be great i feel naked without He's, a he knife called you yeah, out, Rob. yeah it's, it's horrible i mean they took i told you earlier they took so when i crossed across the canadian border to here they took a fingernail clipper from me because no. they told me that i that i could p- potentially cause harm with the with the, the fingernail cleaner <laughs> it's this big but whatever the uh silly yeah silly so right
0: i cut you off i'm sorry so panama uses the u.s dollar they've got other industry that was done now i've been to costa
1: rica we went down there um uh, great for place many it's great it's beautiful place. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. You
0: could relax. I mean, it was it was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. And Costa Rica is great. The one thing that I find, I mean, having spent a lot of time working, I mean, the last twenty years I've been in that area, right? Um, Costa Rica, because their economy hinges on tourism the very quickly there's a disconnect between the money in that person's pocket and the person that's there.
0: Mm, Right. I gotcha.
1: So Panama, you got the advantage of them being used to one seeing people who don't necessarily have a local looking face. Right. Um, and second of all, they're also used to the idea that there's some guy that's not local who does run a multinational business and has loads of money, but there's also the guy that, you know, the private that was stationed there that's sweeping out a hangar someplace that has no money.
0: Right. Right. And
1: so you're not immediately connected to this idea of a walking bag of money. Right. Right. Which is great. But there are kayak trips that you can go and actually see the canal, Lake Gatun and places like that. That is U.S. history. I mean, it is really what propelled the U.S. Because
0: the, because the canal was built when?
1: Canal was built. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, it, was, right? it was opened actually the day after the First World War was declared. Oh. And, uh, and so it was built, finished in 1914, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which was kind of uh, a little bit of an anti-climax when the first steamer went through. Nobody paid any attention to it because World War I had started. Right, right. Um, and that was built by Americans, started by the French in 1890 and finished by the Americans in... Yeah, because malaria wiped out the French, I think. Yeah, and... and it was the Americans actually during that that determined that it was the mosquito that carried... Oh, interesting. The, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the the doctor... Um, God, I want to it's just slipping his name... So I think it's Goddle. I think was his name. Goddle. I'm not sure. Yeah, the, the name's just slipping in my mind right now. It'll come to me at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and I say, that's I what it is. That's what
0: it, it is. But yeah, he... Yeah, one of you guys look it up. Who, who was the doctor that discovered mosquitoes? He yeah. actually died from malaria. The doctor that discovered that right? mosquitoes were the
1: ones that... Uh, well, he yeah, he, everybody thought he was a nut job. They thought that it was bad air. Malaria actually means bad air, right? And that's why they would set their camps up on hills where the wind would blow through. And they thought because the wind was blowing through that it was not containing the bad air when it was actually just keeping the mosquitoes away, right?
0: Right, right.
1: But he had read in some really obscure medical journals in Cuba, actually, that it might be the mosquito that carried it. And so 15 years before he got down there, he tried it in Havana. And he minimized the malaria rate in the city of Havana by no 90 kidding. some odd percent. So he thought he was going to give it a shot in Panama, but that's a whole entire isthmus, yeah. swamps and not a city. Lots of, lots of skeeters down there. Yeah. But it was a uh, fascinating story. If you ever want to read a, a fascinating history about where somebody really just decided to do what they thought they were pretty sure was right against the grain and against all the criticism of, uh, of the common thought of the day, this guy was like, the perfect example wow. of that. And he gathered at the end, he gathered everybody together. This was before he died, obviously. They gathered everybody together and they were looking at the last malarial victim and, uh, and they said, I want you to take a good look at this man because you will not see another man die of malaria in the canal. And he was right except for himself.
0: No kidding. Yeah.
1: And uh, the U.S. had lost just over 5,000 people to malaria. Um, but all of that occurred just as he came in. But the French had lost nearly 20,000.
0: Yeah. Now, what was he doing to mitigate the malaria?
1: We're running down the malaria rabbit hole here. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. That's right. That's right. But what was interesting? Oh, Ronald Ross. Ronald Ross. Ronald
0: Ross. I guess he was the doctor that uh, came up with it. I'm pretty sure it? the
1: last name starts with a G. Uh, that he may have been involved with it, um, uh, but let, it, I'm pretty sure it starts with a G. So. Hey, uh,
0: did you see a zero survivals question? There is. Uh, you ever been to the Cook Islands? Out in the South Pacific? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Ronald no. Ross. Here we go. Discovery of the malarial parasite in the gastrointestinal tract of the mosquito in 1897 proved malaria was transmitted yeah, by mosquitoes. This
1: was not the guy who actually implemented it in the in the in the canal. His name starts with a G and it's a GO I want to say G O D Godell or something like that. Uh, so it was one of those instances
0: where something was discovered by somebody and else ignored, and
1: ignored, poo-pooed
0: yeah. by the establishment. Yeah,
1: and then, um, then the other guy drove it home. Yeah, he drove it home, and he had the he had the support of uh, Roosevelt.
0: Interesting. So
1: this the the G guy probably saw Red Ross's stuff yeah. right outside my apartment in Panama City is the museum dedicated to this guy. No and I can kidding. see the sign on the wall. I can see the sign on my wall in my head, but it's not coming to me. Grassy? No, not grassy. Not grassy? Nope. Not no. grassy. Keep going.
0: We're, we're looking.
1: It, it sounds like a very German name. It sounds like a very like Anglo-German name. Nope. 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 That, say that's a B. Say malaria Panama canal. And he was, yeah, malaria Panama canal. We should find it.
0: So what? Are, let, let's talk about. So he's he'll fig, he'll figure this out. Doug back there. But yeah, you asked me some cool places. <laughs> cool places. Cool places. The. Um... Did aliens build the temples at Machu
1: Picchu? Wow, that's what I want to know. Wow, how was <laughs> it awesome. possible?
0: How was it possible?
1: Yeah, uh, wow. Um, I don't know how to answer that. I think that there's a lot of information. My opinion. I'll tell you my opinion. I was sitting on top of a temple in uh, in actually in Mexico. This was before you could actually visit it. You had to you had to get approval from the from, from the, the archeology government. from the government to even get in there. Now you can go in there and like I think there's bus tours that go through it pretty much. But uh-huh. but at the time you had to go and you pretty much had to be carrying a machete to get into it. It's a place yeah. called Uxmal and uh, Gorgas, that's his name right there. William Crawford Gorgas, that's the guy. There we go. And uh, he was a US uh, uh, United States Army physician and had the support of uh, Roosevelt and if it wasn't for the support of Roosevelt who was also getting criticized for the idea of even building the canal in the first mm-hmm. board the first place that guy had some balls he really yeah. did Visionary. everybody thought he was dumb I mean building a canal across a country I mean crazy
0: and it change change shipping because you guys that don't know we're not trying to insult anybody's intelligence but trying to it fly or sail around the horn
1: Took months. Was months and very dangerous. Yeah, the the Magellan Strait, which is the safer part around the around Tierra del Fuego, or um, the southern part of the southern tip of um, uh, of South America, which is the the Cape of Good Hope, um, of Buena Esperanza. They um, the still now that's part of the Roaring Forties which yeah. means that there are commonly waves of 40 feet and plus yeah, in that area it's
0: unbelievably and, uh, dangerous
1: yeah there's a, a guy i know uh, a brazilian guy roberto pandiani who took a hobie cat boat and sailed through the magellan straits and he's got some stories to tell about that i'll oh, tell you I'll bet. Um, okay so sitting on top of temple i want to hear about yeah aliens. so we well this <laughs> the thing that i think is fascinating is you can't visit it anymore but in Tica, this is in Guatemala in Peten, that area we were talking about earlier, where the, the guerrilla activity was very active when we first got down there. And you had these tourists that wanted to pay to get in the middle of it. It was, it was Go kind of you. crazy, right? Anyhow, but um, inside temple number, it's temple number three, one of the temples there. Um, there's actually a tomb. It's uh, Pacal's tomb. And on top of the stone, you can find it in textbooks, um, there is uh, the spaceman. He's riding on a rocket ship. It's carved into this the, the stone that covered the... Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Full, fully on. You can find a picture of it. Zach, Look it up. Pacal's, stone, pa- Pacal's tomb in, um, in, uh, in Tical, Guatemala. But no, was, uh, the thing that I find interesting about, uh, about the way we think now is... Um, i can't remember who said it i want to think it was i want to say it was einstein um he said that once a man comes up with a theory the whole universe conspires to prove to him that that theory is correct yes right and what's <laughs> interesting that's called falling in love with your own falling arguments. in love with yourself <laughs> right it's like God, there's other words for that too that i don't know are appropriate for <laughs> but uh no the uh, the the interesting thing about it is that um, all the archaeologists every time they go back to that's it right there yeah, so if you look, you can see the guy's riding on some thing that either looks like one really awesome Harley or some sort of a spaceship, but,
0: <laughs> but uh, the, the space aliens are actually hell's angels. Yeah.
1: So there you go. Yep. So you can act, if you look sideways, the blue thing is a man, um, on the uh, right hand side of the screen, that's his head and his feet. You can kind of see bent behind him, um, on the left hand side and you can see the green behind him is kind of flames and the red thing in front of it. He's riding something that's moving real fast. And uh, there's a number, of, uh, a number of very interesting books that have been written about it. Uh, one's called The Charity and, of the Gods. And, and, and,
0: uh, uh, and you've seen this?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't visit it now, but if you know who to talk to, you can get in and so, you have to... So di- you've,
0: you've read Charity of the Gods? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Fingerprints yeah. of the Gods? And Fingerprints of the Gods. Hey, God you guys, great well. books. Yeah. They laughed at uh, Graham, Graham uh, Hancock. I think it's yeah, Graham I Hancock is the yeah. author. They laughed at him when he first came out because his whole theory about the... Crust of the Earth spinning. we're way off the topic of adventures, but but hey, this is
1: really cool. They laughed. If, at if Hollow Earth theory it. is true, I want to organize tours to go there. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that would be so, awesome.
0: Fascinating books. So, what, what are some other cool places you've been?
1: Um, I think really, um, it's changed a lot since I've been down there. But the Bay Islands of Honduras is very accessible. Um, great for diving, great for beach, and great for sailing. Spear fishing, you name it. That sounds to me like a place you might you yeah. may have gone to or uh, no? No, I it's haven't. right. It's. I've re- only got
0: limited experience in oh, yeah? Central South America. Okay, yeah, cool. Very limited experience.
1: With the Bay Islands. Um, it's right where Guatemala meets Honduras. Guatemala, Belize, and Honduras—they all kind of meet, and they're about twenty twenty miles offshore. Uh-huh. Beautiful islands. Um, you can see whale sharks out there, um, oh, wow. and you can dive with them, snorkel with them. Um, fishing, spear fishing, is amazing out there, wow. and they speak English.
0: We we actually, we already answered that. Um, he has not been to the Cook Islands. No, I have South not. Pacific. No,
1: my area specialty, I mean, I spent some time in Europe um, for other reasons, but the area that I've been concentrating on professionally um, is Central and South America. Um, and of course, it's difficult to even give away a trip to someone in North America, to Central and South America in the summertime, because it's so awesome it's, here. Yeah. And so I ended up actually um, expanding my company at the time that I, I actually owned my own company and to include trips to pe- for people to go and see the Great North um, in, the, in the summertime, right? Because nice. that's the time you want to go. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for the black flies, it'd be amazing. But, uh, I mean, it's amazing anyhow. But the so. black
0: flies, are those the ones that... That put the larva in your skin. No,
1: that's the bots fly. The bots fly. The bots fly. The Tuku worm. Yeah, we we had Jake was here. He
0: he actually had worked up there.
1: Yeah, he was telling I, us about the bot's flag. Yeah, it was horrible. Well, I actually had one of those in my knee once, and my wow. my my sister was uh, was uh, was visiting me, and uh-huh. uh, I don't know where I'd picked it up, but they like to lay their eggs in the seams of clothing that's left on a on a clo- like on, on a clothesline. Yeah, and obviously I'd left it out there, and I had one in my leg in my leg, and it kind of pop its head out every once in a while to just kind of see what was going on, you know, say oh. hi. My, my sister named it Gustavo. I don't know where that name came from, but uh, but she knew it was coming because I'd kind of oh turn God. this pale shade of gray every time it'd start wiggling around, but they're not a big deal to get rid of. They're just kind of ugly when they're there. So. Oh,
0: man, but. that's horrible. So black flies are not fun. <coughs> so we're in, we're in Central South America. I mean, you've been all over. You're an adventure guide, essentially. <laughs> where won't you go? Right now, where are the places right now? You're, if somebody wanted to go, you'd go, uh, you probably need a battalion of U.S. paratroopers to go there or something like
1: that. Um, unfortunately, my favorite country in South America is the place that I wouldn't recommend people going right now. And that's Venezuela. Venezuela. Why, Venezuela. why is that? Um, right now, there is some huge government unrest. Um, the, the socialist um, revolution that was brought on by Chavez um, about 15 years ago, not even that long ago, we're talking like 11 years ago, um, isn't working. And uh, imagine that that. socialism's
0: not working again.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really not working. And it's, it's fascinating to me that uh, there's very, very little media coverage of what's actually happening in the country. Um, It's, I mean, all sorts of things have been covering Syria. Um, There's equally horrible things going on in Venezuela right now, but we don't hear anything about it. You know, Um, you hear a little bit about it, but they just kind of skim over the surface. People don't have food to eat. Um, yeah, but people that's are about starving, it. and that's and... about it. But Venezuela is by by and large, Venezuela and Colombia are my two favorite countries to travel down there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Venezuela is just not a place I'd recommend to go right now.
0: Like I knew a Venezuelan. I mean, who knows what happened to this guy? I knew a Venezuelan captain. Yeah, that was uh, he was teaching at um, um, when I went to Anac Advanced Non Commissioned Officer School back okay, Fort yeah. Bragg, but that was back in the.
1: 90s long before when they China were still was. known as the dame doses
0: what's the Dame doses well
1: in miami venezuela understand venezuela has more surface accessible um petroleum than any all the, the opec nations combined right really oh yeah um and what's fascinating about that's why cuba was so excited to get a to get a, a socialist to a communist oh. sympathizer in leadership because then they would have access to that oil um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an OPEC nation and it has by far more than all of the rest of the OPEC nations combined. No kidding. I yeah. did not know that. Um, and what's fascinating about it is that during the 80s and into the 90s um, in Miami, Miami, Las Vegas and places like that were cheap vacations for Venezuelans. It was an extremely capitalist society run very similar to the ideal behind us, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and people had so much money that they would go into Miami. And, uh, I was actually living in, uh, in kind of central Florida at the time. And, uh, and they would see something that they'd like and they'd say, Oh, which means, Hey, it's cheap. Give me two. And so in Miami today, Venezuelans are kind of uh, euphemistically known as the dame Doses, the give me twos. Uh, And now their country is in the situation where it is, where the Bolivar isn't worth anything. Um, That's The Bolivar is the the Venezuelan currency. It's not worth anything. Um, And they're fleeing everywhere. I live in Panama and the company I'm working for, we hire Venezuelans as quick as we can. They're extremely well educated. They're hard workers, um, but they're unfortunately in a regime that just... Isn't working. Ain't supporting it. And it's yeah, it's dangerous. Uh, the violence, government towards the, the people, is far in excess of what we're hearing on the media. So is
0: it is it is it the go- is it just the government, or I mean, is there like a bunch of criminal activity taking place too? Or?
1: Well, that's kind of there's kind of a blurry line between the two, actually. To oh, be honest, okay, fair enough. Um, you have the colectivos, which are gangs, but they're quite heavily supported by the the government. Um, for that matter, the government. Allegedly is uh, providing the firearms and and support in that area as well Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. to impose their uh, their will on on the people So yeah, it's a mess.
0: So you guys that are just tuning in what we're talking about is Ryan here He's been an adventure tour guide down in Central South America now for the last 20 years And we're going over some of his experience some of the stories some things that you can look out for so that you can get out there find a great reputable company and get out, get your butt off the couch, go do some adventure tourism yourself, or you know have a small adventure there because that's all about you know being a savage gentleman, right? Is yeah. is getting out there and doing some new stuff, learning some new skills, and, and challenging yourself too. Challenging right? I mean, yourself, challenging yeah. yourself. Thank yeah. you. Well said. I'm gonna steal that. Challenging yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, so that's. Uh, I mean that that ultimately for me, I, I, I've seen a lot of changes in what is called adventure tourism, and we were talking about it earlier in the office when, when we came in. Um, adventure tourism has gone from really, um, I loved it back in the day. It was people who had been and done a lot of stuff already, and they wanted to earn the opportunity to see places that other people hadn't seen. They weren't adverse to blisters on their hands and their, you know, their feet and sunburn and mosquito bites and that sort of thing. Right. Um, it's kind of changed, um, in recent years since it's mainstream to become this idea of adventure by day and comfort by night. Comfort by night limits you to where you can go.
0: Gotcha.
1: And when I started, there weren't hotels, even in the Riviera Maya, you got about as far south as really, you know, Cancun and Playa del Carmen at the time had, Playa del Carmen mm-hmm. um, had about 3,500 people living there. It was a tiny little fishing village. It has a half a million people living there now. Wow.
0: Um, wow, it's wow.
1: that whole area has changed immensely. Um, but that idea by comfort by day limits where it is you're able to go because you have to be able to return back to some place where there is a comfortable hotel or accommodations of some sort mm-hmm. to do that um and so the idea of challenging yourself within within that context is becoming a little bit more difficult right gotcha. the overnight in the jungle um i mean we used to take people in belize through these caves we camp for three days as we're going through these caves so that they could see this crystallized mayan mummy that was in there wow this is near this is in the, the san ignacio area or the cayo district of yeah. uh, of do You beliefs. have pictures of all this stuff. It's yeah. fascinating. Well, yeah, I do, and no, I don't. Um, understand? Back in the '90s, there was no such thing as digital oh, that, cameras, that's right? That's right. Yeah. And yeah. in addition to that, my concern is my clients. And if I'm running around with a camera banging around my neck, how am I going to be able to really? And it looks watch a little, out
0: for the safety of yeah. The, and nah, I gotcha. And
1: it looks a little unprofessional to me. It's like, yeah, I know you got something to do. Hold on a second. I got to take this picture here, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I do have so, some pictures, but so
0: Anthony Nelson has got a great question. You and we talked about it a little before. What are some good companies you named off three?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a number of them. Um, there's, uh, they, I said, uh, gap adventures, uh, actually, sorry, I better back away from that. They had to change their name to G adventures because gap, the clothing store, apparently this is a story I understand. Didn't like the fact that they had used the acronym great adventure people to Gap. And so they had to change it to G adventures. That's the story I understand. Okay. I hope G I'm not, I'm, I'm not meaning to, to trommel on any, on any company's uh, names here, but, uh, but G adventures is a great one. Um, they, they're, they're really kind of the pioneer in the, uh, in the industry. Um, before the idea of overland adventure travel existed, this guy in Toronto, Bruce Boontip, he's kind of came up with this idea that, Hey, I'm going to do the thinking so that wow. people can do the doing.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to, Rock some stuff out there. It looks like we got another question. Go ahead.
1: Um, have you heard of the Great Adventure Company called Ready Man? The Great Adventure Company called Ready Man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that rings a bell. Does that ring rings a bell to you? Bell. That rings a bell. I don't know. A bell. Yeah, it rings Sean's a bell. got a great question. Oh, sorry, we've got yeah.
0: two other companies you had mentioned before.
1: Yeah, Dragoman is a good one. That's uh, that that's uh, out of the UK. They're a good company. Trek America is a great company as well. Oh, Trek and the thing that when I when I recommend a good company, um, one of the class one of the criteria is that their groups are small. Um, they're not going to operate any bigger. Dragoman works with slightly bigger groups because they have their own vehicles that are kind of cool. Vehicles are these four, four by four and six by six, uh, BMW, um, BMW kind of camper buses things, which is kind of cool. Um, Gap Adventure or G Adventures. I got to be careful with that. Gonna get myself in trouble here. Um, G Adventures, they they have a, a very uh, kind of organic idea where they they try to have as, as light a footprint as they can where they yeah. travel, and so they'll use local transportation. Transportation, so the the quintessential quintessential chicken bus in in Central America, nice. they'll give you that experience, and you get to ride for a couple of hours on a chicken bus with a hog underneath you, and uh, you know your luggage all up on the roof, or maybe you, you, get, up you gotta on pay the roof. extra for the hog. Yeah, though. you gotta pay, and, and for the ride on the roof, yeah, <laughs> or hanging off the ladder off the back they'll do that for you too. But, uh, but Trek, Trek America, they, they do have their own vehicles. They're also very small groups. I think they're, I think their maximum group size is about 14. So. Wow. And they're, they're, they're reputable companies. There are loads of other companies out there um, that operate in these areas, and some of them are very local. These are the bigger three that even though they're the bigger three, they've kept really tight to the ideal and, of what it is. And
0: Casey May, I, I love where your head's at. It's like, okay, what does something like this cost?
1: It depends on where you're going. I mean, there's a great company that, uh, that does uh, canoe camping trips up in northern Canada called Blackfeather, right? Um, something like that, because you've got a lot more logistics to, to get you into those areas, um, it's going to cost you a little bit more. But you're typically looking at someplace in the area of about $2,500 a week. Okay. So, and that, so
0: that's, that's not too it, bad, yeah, $2,500 a week.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can go to some really, really off-the-beaten-path places, and they're going to charge you more for that. But for, for the guy who wants to go out and do a trip, I mean, take their, their girlfriend, their, you know, their buddies with them or whatever, and do something where they actually get a little bit dirty and, and have a, have an experience. Yeah. You can get, you can get away with the uh, 1500 to $2,500 a week.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. And then Sean Knudsen,
0: hey, he's a regular Sean. Good to see you on here. Do you have people that are tracking your location in these countries? Are there people you check in with on a
1: regular basis so that they can keep track of your location? Um... That that's a good question. Um, there are all sorts of devices. I was actually um, contracted a little while ago, post nine eleven, to uh, the U.S. decided that they're going to reinvest their their resources into uh, national security. Previous to that, the the aeronautical and maritime search and rescue um, region of Central and Central America and the Caribbean was covered by the U.S. Uh, primarily yeah, out of uh, out of Key West. Um, and so during that time period, I was actually asked to kind of help coordinate a, um, I guess, uh, an inventory of what resources were local down there and how they could actually create a joint operation to, to deal with that. Uh-huh. And the U.S. paid for it because it was their responsibility. It's one of those U.S. things to take care of it. And the U.S. One said, the we trees. don't want to do it anymore. We don't want to do it anymore, so we're going to give you some money to to Figure it, it out over. to take it over, and uh, and I got to understand intimately how that entire system, how the EPIRBs and the ELTs and the, the spot devices which piggyback on that system, how they work. Unfortunately, though, um, they're based upon the Doppler system or the Doppler, um, um uh, the Doppler effect, uh-huh. not the Doppler system, that's something else. The Doppler effect, where you have a satellite that spins around the earth, and as that spins around the earth, if there's a, a a, a beacon sending off a, uh, a transmission at a certain frequency that frequency will be higher as it's going over it and lower as it goes past it mm. that's how they find where you are the problem with that is there's all sorts of other frequencies that are well, all sorts of other devices that are producing frequencies at the same level or like, close to like it like
0: piracy like satcom piracy For it, a, is really bad I, in I uh, central south america i learned this from a past life where where guys are jumping on satcom the, bouncing off the satellites so that they can make comms and the
1: Oh channels. yeah, all the time, all the time. And we will do that if we have to. Um but it makes it makes the accuracy of a lot of those uh, a lot of that equipment um difficult to rely on.
0: So you still need your whistle and signal mirror. Yeah, and so uh,
1: but yeah, absolutely. You, any group that goes into the really off the beat path, beaten path areas has to have the ability to self-rescue. You're in a lot of these areas. You are on your own, and you need to be sure that you're with somebody who can handle that. And uh, so, what are
0: what are when you say they they need to handle it for? What are some minimal stuff that somebody needs if they're going to think about going off the beaten path? What are some minimal skills that you would tell folks? Hey, before you go off the beaten path, and obviously it changes. I mean, mountains are very different than yeah. the jungle. But what are some baseline skills that?
1: Well, for, um, for somebody who wants to go off on the beaten path, particularly if they want to do it by themselves and you can, there's no reason even in these areas where you couldn't do something like this on your own, there's a few skills that you do need to learn. And a lot of the guys I think that listen to, to, to you and you're in, you know, savage Gentleman, ready man that sort of thing are focusing on learning those sorts of things already. Um, but the fundamental basics is you need to be able to pick a good pair of shoes for sure. where you're going. Um, I see so many times um, people showing up to Central America, where for the most part it's tropical, and they've got a 80 liter backpack, one of those big ones, on liters in in cubic inches. What yeah, would we, that we, be? Yeah, uh, I don't
0: know, but we like in you're the you're, look, weird. you're looking we, at we like
1: 20 about... gallons, right? Yeah. Like the, these huge ones that are you know as big as as tall as I you know as, as tall as, as my butt pack. my butt to the top yeah. of my head and as wide as you are, and then they have another one on the front, which is you know a good 10 gallons. And I look at them and I go, what are you carrying in that? And then I see them pull out mountaineering boots, big, heavy mountaineering boots. And I'm looking at them going, you do not need that here. Not Garrett. good for the jungle. Not a good choice. Yeah, really bad choice for the jungle. But we, in as, Nor-
0: as a matter of fact, this is probably better for the jungle. Right, exactly,
1: mountain. right, exactly. And, uh, and, and so it's the idea of being able to pick a, a pair of shoes for you. And being able to understand when those shoes are actually properly broken in for you, because uh, one of the hugest problems that we deal with is people who simply don't have the right footwear. And and that sounds like sounds like it's a, it's just you know blisters, whatever. I'm a yeah. tough guy; I can deal with blisters. But the reality is that blisters are the quickest way to ruin an experience. Showstopper. Showstopper. Showstopper, and they can learn they can lead to infection and sepsis yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't seem like a big deal because most of us live within very short. You know, a very short distance of front country Because,
0: and that's what we tell folks too on the ready man side is your single biggest limiting factor that you're going to run into is your feet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if
0: you're out of shape, you can walk a little way, stop, catch your breath, walk a little further, stop, catch your breath, yeah. walk a little. But you get your feet torn up,
1: you're you're done.
0: You're you're done. Yeah, you're, you're you're finished until you can get those things healed up.
1: Yeah, and the and in talking about feet as well is learn how to recognize what a hot spot is. Right. When you're walking before a blister happens, you'll feel a hot spot happening. And a lot of people think, oh, I'll get there before I'm Oh, will grit through it. Yeah. Stop the, and fix it. These things sound really commonsensical. Unfortunately, I've been finding dealing in this industry that common sense really isn't that common. Yeah. And, and so, so... Blisters feet, are not bombing. You're yeah.
0: absolutely right, Chris.
1: And, you know, being able, to, being able to understand, you know, when you need to change your socks and dry your feet. Yeah. How to keep your feet dry when you're slogging through a jungle? You, do you
0: use crazy glue for the blisters.
1: Um, I try to avoid having blisters altogether. Well, so there you go, Fair yeah. enough. But crazy, glue, crazy glue does work. Single, um,
0: single best thing I found for blisters.
1: It works cool. great. I mean, I've yes. used it on my on my uh, on my clients, and yes, I have had to use it on myself. I just,
0: I actually, I just patched a guy's leg up a couple weeks ago. Great uh, temporary we were, stitches too, yeah, right? he he, yeah. uh, he he was taking garbage. You know, we we're out. We were clamping where it's, yeah. you know, it wasn't camping other, you know, our vehicles are right there and stuff. And um, he had a bag with broken glass in it and put a, put a nice laceration oh, on his yeah, shoe. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, all right. And then the, you know, they're like, Jeff, come help us. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I got some crazy glue. And I glued it back together. Yeah. So i a couple weeks later. It's like, put yeah, a few stereo strips on it and away awesome. no yep. you go. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Gorilla glue. No, 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 no. Don't, no. don't use gorilla glue, crazy yeah. glue. The stuff that bonds skin instantly, but you want to test it first because some people, it will burn their skin. Like my sister, it burns her skin, which is weird because it's my sister. Yeah. And me, it doesn't do. Like I've actually, I've glued, you know when you get really bad blisters and then the skin actually splits. Yeah. yeah. Underneath the blister. I and that's just raw. It's just t- oh, it's that tasty. is horribly painful I've, too, right? I've glued that together and then glued the skin back over the top, and was fine. Yeah, it'll it worked totally fine. It work, Yeah, and it didn't burn. Can it.
1: you confirm? Maybe you know this. Can you confirm? I've heard some rumors going around saying that Crazy Glue was actually developed by the U.S. Army during Vietnam to deal with uh, with lacerations and so forth in field. Is that now uh, what
0: I heard? And if anybody can find this out, whether this is true or false. If you find the answer, we'll send you something cool. I
1: promise. But yeah, uh, Chris, blisters are definitely not a bomber. Nice comment. Serious. But I heard it was
0: World War One. Really, that early? Eh? Yeah, it was World War One, and that they had done it as a temporary
1: suture a means to what trench trench foot or something. <laughs> well,
0: I think it was actual like lacerations because yeah. all the barbed wire and just crap that was there. Oh, I could on see that. Yeah, yeah. And worried about infection. So, yeah. but I don't know. There's they they've got Durabon that's actually used in. They use it in hospitals now, yeah. and, it, and it's. I understand it's effectively the
1: same thing, just more flexible, right? Yeah, it's more yeah.
0: flexible. Doesn't work on your feet though. Yeah. you've got to get the the crazy glue that uh, bonds skin instantly. Is the yeah. is you, the stuff that works. The and best. you
1: can buy the stuff in the dollar store if yeah, you know where to look it's, for it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cheap, cheap, cheap. But
0: I heard it was World War One. If you guys, <clears throat> if you guys, let us know, Rob Hummelbaugh, the historian at large out there, if you're still watching, Rob, I'll bet he probably knows. Yeah.
1: So. Well, the, yeah, feet that's the number one thing. The other thing is, is how to actually dress for the climate that you're in and how to be variable in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, um, I did, a, a podcast a while back, actually out of Ottawa, Canada, um, for uh, Latin American uh, travelers on how to dress for cold weather. Now, a lot of people, I mean, Utah, you guys get cold. I uh-huh. mean, not, not the type of cold, except for up in the mountains that, uh, that we get up in Canada, but you guys get cold. Um, but there's a lot of people in the world that don't understand this. And there's even people here that don't understand the simple, the simple, uh, uh, I don't know if the word I'm looking for is refrain, but the cotton kills, right? Yep. Cotton kills. Um, and the idea of how to dress in layers and what the appropriate, um, materials are for each given layer and, and how to be able to vary those, for vary the climate. Those. Yeah. And again, back to the, you know, double backpacker guy, right? You don't need as much as you think you need yeah. if you know what you're packing. And so do your research, understand, speak to people who do it. Um, most of these, uh, most of these shops have the, the, the stuff to sell you, but they want to sell you a lot more than what you need, which is fair enough. They're, gotcha. they're a business, but do some research, you know, good Merino wool, polypro, even nylon, um, as an under, uh, under layer is where you want to start.
0: So we've got, we've got a couple. So I think Chris was probably the first, but, uh, it looked like Scott Mize, uh, said they were using it during Vietnam, cyanoacrylate that's crazy, yeah. Cyanoacrylate was proven valuable to military surgeons, then Chris came on and said it was actually it was created to repair gun sights, and then Scott came back in 1942, superglue, also known as cyanoracrylate, was originally discovered in 42 by Dr. Harry Coover, who by the way died last month, oh, okay, oh, wow, Cover was attempting to make clear plastic gun sights to be put on guns used by Allied soldiers in World War II. No kidding. One particular formulation he came up with didn't work well for gun sights, but worked fantastically as an extremely
1: quick bonding adhesive. You know, uh, just to cut you off there, why does that not surprise me? That, I mean, people can criticize government as much as they want, but when you actually get the military in the field, the guys who are actually boots on the ground... The resourcefulness it's, of those guys is just insane. This was for gun sites, and now it's being used to fix blisters and lacerations. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, sorry, I well, interrupted. The mother
0: of invention is it's necessity. It's necessity, right? Yeah, okay, absolutely. What okay, what do I have? You know, all yeah. right, I'm going to make this out of that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's so,
0: awesome. All right, so what else? So,
1: Tell us another story. Tell us something. Okay. Uh, I, I want to read the rest of that sentence that oh, he said. Okay. I cut you off right at surprisingly. Sorry, uh, sorry about that, Scott, right there. Surprisingly, despite the commercial potential of such a product um, what's that? I can't see the Hoover word. Coover abandoned, abandoned that formulation. Yeah. You abandoned that formulation completely as it obviously wasn't suitable for his current pro for his current project being too sticky. So somebody took, somebody
0: the, took it and then figured it out.
1: That's awesome. That is awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: That was actually, um, apparently how the sticky note was invented. They were trying to make a really good adhesive glue and
0: one of the failed projects, or one of the failed uh, designs, uh, ended up being like the residue they put on sticky notes. It's like, oh, this doesn't really stick very well, but it sticks just well
1: enough. You could like put it on like a desk or a wall. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I think I'd heard something about that, eh? Yeah, I think I heard something notes. about that. I didn't know the whole the whole story behind uh, behind Crazy Glue. Uh, thanks, Scott. That's uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little less dumb today. So, <laughs> okay, we just have a
0: couple more minutes left for the live show. You guys, if you have any other questions. I'm not sure who we need to send something to on that, who, who that was, was that Chris Yates that came up with it first, or we'll, we'll we're, we're going to take that in and we're going to debate it back down, back down there in the, in the Ready Man area and we'll, and we'll let you guys know, but um, final, final story for us here, Ryan, things to, things to keep in mind or actually tell us something cool that you've seen that nobody else has seen or very few have seen in the jungles of uh, Central South America.
1: Wow, that's space a good place aliens. to start. Space aliens, definitely space aliens. <laughs> definitely space aliens. <laughs> what is aliens. like the weirdest thing that you've seen? Um, during the uh, the difficult period in uh, in Central America, um, a tour guide, I'm not going to mention the name because you might be looking at him, who ended up singing to a bunch of uh, gorillas that held his group uh, hostage for a little while so that to, oh, really? con- to convince them to let him go. So, uh, okay. that was weird. Uh, uh, that was weird. Ex- we're extending the show. Yeah, that was that was you weird. tell
0: us the story. What happened?
1: Well, uh, we were coming up uh, from Honduras. This would have been in '96, right? Yeah. So, uh, so right before the principal um, guerrilla conflict in Guatemala was coming to an end, and there was a lot of guys who were basically demobilized and were doing nothing. And so, at the time, they were kind of just sitting on the sides of roads and hillsides and corners, looking for uh, targets of uh, of opportunity. And well, we came around. We were heading into a place called Chiquimula, Guatemala and next thing you know there was a truck that slammed into the side of our vehicle and i'm looking at these guys and they were armed uh, with uh, with firearms that me as a you know 21 year old canadian boy had only seen on the military bases that i grew up with grew up on right wow and they hopped into our vehicle and i had about three different languages in the group and i had the first thought that came to my mind was i got to slow this down i I have no control over what's going on but i got to slow it down right so at right. the time, the, the, the way it was typically done, whenever that th- sort of thing was done, it's easier to deal with a dead person than a live person, right? And so, uh, so we ended up being taken down off the, gro- the gravel road, which is now a three-lane highway, I think, if I'm not wow. mistaken. Yeah. Um, but it was a gravel road. They took us off a, into a farmer's field and took us out of the vehicles. And uh, we're lay- I was laying on the ground. They knew who I was. And so the, what I did to slow it down was just translate everything they are saying into each individual language in the group. And... Uh, and so he laid us down and it was it was, it was was horrible. So I was laying in a fire ant hill. Any of you guys know what fire ants are? Oh, they're horrible. Oh. So I'm laying in this fire ant hill and they're like all over me. And these guys would bring each one of my clients out one at a time, kick me in the ribs and say, translate. And I was laying beside this girl and I could feel her heart, like right on my rib cage. I could feel her heart just going crazy. And I could feel her like panicking. And the thought ran through me. You know, those thoughts where you don't really know where they come from, but you just know you have to act on them. I'm sure in some of the situations you've been in, you've had them. Yeah. You don't know where they come from, but you act on them. And the thought was, she's gonna stand up and run. And I thought if she stands up and run, we're all done. Yeah. And the thought ran Once through... the shooting starts. Yeah, I mean, even we could get in the conversation about police brutality and how how why didn't they just use one shot and shoot him in the legs? That's not how it works. <laughs> how you works. get into code red and you don't even know how many bullets have gone out, and you think you shot two or three and you've gone through all of them, right? right? And so I knew that. And, uh, and my thought was, I've got to do something to stop her from, to calm her down. And so the thought just ran through my head. We had been kind of joking and kind of singing, and I'd been kind of introducing them to Latin American musicians by singing. I've always kind of been a bit of a ham performer, whatever. And so I, the thought came through my head, hum, right? So I started humming. And immediately it's just really quiet right because i was afraid these guys were going to freak out if they heard me humming right yeah and immediately the humming she felt the vibration she told me this afterwards she felt the vibration through her ribs and i felt her heart rate calm down and i felt her breathing start to calm down and afterwards she told me she said if i if you were humming we must have been all right i didn't think we were all right but whatever Anyhow, so fake <laughs> whatever, fake it till you make it, right? And so when she, her heart rate calmed down, there was another voice that came across that was saying, shut up, you're going to get us killed. And I thought, she's not paying attention to the fear that's going on. She's paying attention to shutting whoever it is that's humming up. So I hummed a little bit louder. One thing progressed to another one and, and I started singing some of the Harry Coddick Jr. songs that we were, we were singing there and the, the, the guys who were over top of it started just relaxing. And they realized that this wasn't as you know we weren't there to you know to cause them any resistance we were there just to go on our merry way and uh and at one point one of the guys asked if i knew any luis miguel which is a famous latin american uh, kind of ballad singer uh-huh. and they're just kind of joking and i heard it off and, and I, I couldn't see what was going on but i heard what was going off and i heard yeah i wonder if he knows any luis miguel right and so i cracked out a luis miguel song and here i was in the middle of the highlands of uh, of Guatemala singing face to a bunch face down with fire head. ants all over me and uh, and singing Luis Miguel and songs and Harry Connick <laughs> Jr. songs. But we, we got out fine. And what's interesting is, is that it started, that had happened in the first week of a three week trip. And I was convinced that by the time we got into Guatemala City, which was a dangerous place at the time, and we got in there at night, um, that all of those tourists were going to opt to fly home that day. But that was actually the tightest group we ever had. And I'm still in touch with a lot of those people. And wow. that was 18 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago. Wow. And it was all because of that whole notion of people under, under duress under arrest, kind of yeah. bond together. The adversity. We had a great, great time. Yeah, yeah, we really had a good time and uh, it was a scary situation, but it was a weird one too. I mean, I, I, if I was to be able to watch that as a fly on the wall, it would have been totally like psychedelic. Wow. Like what was the name of that thing you were talking about? the, yeah, Yeah, I
0: just lost it again. Yeah,
1: you lost it again. It would have been one of those experiences. It was weird. Even to this day, I don't don't believe it actually happened. Chris,
0: you got it. That's quick outside the box thinking. And really, that's what... Being a savage gentleman's about, right, is being able to switch between one or the other, you know, if you need to. Based savage on a, singer. Savage <laughs> singer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, be a gentleman yeah. when you need to be a gentleman, be a savage when you don't. So, hey, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been a great show, unbelievably. It's too bad you guys aren't here because the conversation's going to continue, and there's other fascinating stuff we just don't have time to go over on the show. But we'll get Ryan back with us here again, I'm sure, soon. But, uh, Ryan, parting thoughts.
1: Parting thoughts, guys. I think the the one thing that I'd like to um, like to get across is really the notion that, uh, I mean, as cliche as this might sound, there is adventure everywhere you are. I know some of us uh, find ourselves in positions sometimes where we don't feel like we can go on a three week trip to Central America. We may not have the money, may not even have the time, or we've got young children. I just had a had a daughter five months ago. Oh, so well, congratulations. You know, yeah, thanks. And and those responsibilities that we take on upon ourselves as, as men mm. um, can sometimes get in the way, but it doesn't stop us from making mini ones from heading out and going camping in our backyard with our kid and teaching them the skills yeah. that we know that we've learned so that that kid can build on those. And, uh, that's, that's my parting thought is that there is always an opportunity to go out and do something cool, even but if you've only got an evening to do it. doesn't have
0: to be a big adventure, just a mini adventure.
1: Mini adventures are there, and they can challenge you. you know, go take a wilderness first aid, first responders course. Go um, learn how to rock climb. You can do that in an evening rather yeah. than you know potentially and, and watching build tv those
0: bonds with your with your kids and with your family and yeah. your
1: friends and and the friends you know, build that community yeah and that i think really is what it is is that i feel like uh, most of us think we have to do something awesome epic to or it's not worth doing right but the epic stuff that we do is the stuff that we do every day yeah, yeah.
0: So. hey you guys thanks so much for tuning in it was great parting thoughts there we'll see you on monday for a brand-new show, and we'll probably keep peppering you with some of these Sua Sponte uh, uh, Savage Gentleman podcasts too as we get interesting guys that come through the front door. Until next week, we'll see you guys. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks a lot, guys. See ya.